Welcome to the Flourishing Therapreneur Podcast, a podcast that equips therapists to thrive in business, expand their reach, and create flourishing and meaningful lives, both personally and professionally. I'm your host, Claire Blakey. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. I believe in being a multi-passionate therapist. You can have a thriving, financially impactful business, be a leader in the community, and also a business entrepreneur. You don't have to choose, and your impact as a clinician can go beyond the therapy room. I believe that you can be a therapist and an entrepreneur, a therapreneur, and I believe that every therapist deserves the tools, community, and resources to build thriving businesses and flourishing lives. I pair my passion and previous career in PR, marketing, and blogging with my education and experience as a clinician to equip therapists like you who are multi-passionate and wanting to pursue additional opportunities to grow your skill set and expand your reach. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Let's create impact and build flourishing lives and businesses we're proud of. Here we go. We go to Google for everything from recipes to answers to our most burning questions. But did you know that many people are also looking for therapists on Google? SEO or search engine optimization is the number one way many therapists get clients. And you can learn how to optimize your website for search engines too. This spring, I enrolled in Optimize Your Practice, Therapy SEO's signature group coaching program for therapists who want to learn SEO. Although SEO can get super technical and complicated, Christy Platinga, Therapy SEO's founder, made it super accessible, and I've already implemented things that I've learned in the program. So if you're tired of wondering where your next clients are coming from, Head to optimizeyourpractice.com slash waitlist to get more information about how learning SEO can transform your private practice. Hi, friends, and welcome to this week's episode of The Flourishing Therapreneur. If you tuned in last week, I had Dr. Jen Kennedy, LMFT, on the podcast, really breaking down her process and her experience with you know, expanding to a group practice, taking on associates, and really just asking her all the questions in terms of what her process was. Um, But today I thought it might be helpful for me to do a solo episode because as some of you might know, um, I have been licensed for two years this past June. And since I'm in the state of California, you need to wait two years to begin the process of taking on associates in private practice. Um, And so I have been really strategically being a sponge and absorbing other people's experiences and um, really trying to create my own systems and structure so I can begin this process and begin it with confidence and systems and um, just in a strengthened and um, cultivated way. So what I want to do today is just really break down the five steps that I am taking and I'm currently taking um, to really expand my private practice to take on associates. And so my hope with this episode is kind of like a continuation of last week, but really it's for that person that really is just like, give me the steps, give me your outline so I can just, you know, pick up the ball and get going. So my first step and where I began was number one, interviewing licensed supervisors and breaking down each of their business models. So if you're in similar shoes and you're kind of contemplating, you know, like 
will taking on associates one expand my practice asking yourself questions of like is it financially worth it do you make a profit do you not is it more a mentorship type of thing is it both um, I would highly recommend um, either in your local area or in your state, wherever you're residing, to really just reach out to others that have those models, those business models in place. And so I spent, I want to say like springtime more specifically, um, I reached out through my local camp, which is California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists, my local chapter, um, just reaching out and letting people know, hey, I'm taking preliminary steps. I would love if you are a supervisor and you have bandwidth, if you wanted to get coffee or a glass of wine and um, just share your journey and your, you know, your lessons. Um, I know sometimes when people share what they've gone through and are sharing like, do not do this, or I didn't realize, or, you know, those kind of statements, um, but also to ask the nitty gritty questions. And so the episode last week was really kind of debunking some of those questions that I had. So hopefully that episode is helpful, but if you're about to begin, I would encourage you to interview other local supervisors that have private practices, um, and are, you know, really thriving and um, picking their brains. Something else that I recommend in that same breath is whether it's a local supervisor or someone just, you know, that you've seen from afar, maybe through social media, but is there a supervisor that is doing the same model that you want to do? So for example, I am, you know, specialized in eating disorders of body image, perinatal mental health, so pregnancy, postpartum. So are there people maybe not in my city because that's one of the reasons I'm, you know, taking this step is like wanting to create this um, opportunity locally, but are there other cities that have similar models and can I reach out to those, you know, group practice owners or those supervisors to kind of hear what their growing pains have been and if they have any words of wisdom. So that would be step number one, interviewing supervisors and breaking down their business models to get clear on what your business model is going to be. Step two is really getting clear on your why. Um, so for me, it was really fine tuning like what my values are and why I'm even considering taking on associates because I really wanted to get clear on that. Um, I think for me, there's a lot of pieces that um, contribute to my why. Um, I definitely, I had my own journey of being an associate in private practice and I really value kind of giving that to someone else or quite a few other people. Um, but also, as you know, with this podcast and the courses that I do and the consultations that I lead, I'm a huge fan of teaching business skills to therapists. And I love the idea of kind of giving what I wish I had, which is an associateship, but also like really tangible um, systems and structures and really setting people up for success once they launch. Um, I also really want to break the cycle that therapists are supposed to work for free or for a really minimal wage. Um, I don't want to perpetuate that cycle. And so something that I've been really um, getting clear on is, you know, how much can I pay my associates that feels fair, that doesn't perpetuate that type of harm, but also um, is, you know, just a wage that feels meaningful and um, sustainable, especially as they're accruing their hours and also really just not adding to that um, that cycle of feeling taken advantage of or um, belittled for 
where you're at in the process. And so that's something that I really want to hold tight to my why is like making sure that I am, you know, like encouraging a more vibrant, flourishing and congruent um, foundational step for therapists. And I also in my why is also kind of like what I named a little bit ago of locally, there aren't very many perinatal mental health therapists. There's not that many eating disorder therapists. And I actually see it as an opportunity to create really good clinicians. Um, and I know some people might say, oh no, like you're actually going to create competition for yourself. Or why would you want to teach other therapists your techniques? Or I have different groups I lead. So what if they steal your group ideas? What if they steal your curriculum for that? You know, all of that, which of course you can use, um, certain legal forms that they can fill out and whatnot. But for me, I really see it opposite. Like, I think there's like this mentality that I have of like abundance, essentially of knowing that like the more good that we spread in this field and the more, um, kind of camaraderie and empowerment, I only think it's going to help our community. Like our community needs better therapists that are great business owners. They need, you know, more therapists that know how to treat postpartum anxiety and depression or disordered eating. And I don't see it as competition. I actually see it as future people I can refer to. Like, obviously I'll refer to once they work under me, but my hope is that they get licensed. My hope is that they stay in Santa Barbara. My hope is that they become colleagues and I get to build a network of incredible referrals and, um, just that piece of abundance of, you know, really looking at like, there are too many clients for the therapist locally. And I know sometimes people say the opposite, like, oh, like there's too many therapists. I'm not going to get enough clients, but truly to be able to help support other people become really good at treating disorders and topics that I'm passionate about, that actually gives me a lot of meaning. And that really adds to my why. So just wanted to kind of plant that thought. Like, I really think the world needs more therapists that are like, yes, let me, you know, take you under my wing. Let me teach you what I learned that maybe took me years and years to learn. But if I can teach you this in a shorter amount of time, if I can give you some of the most up-to-date research, um, just how much more impact our community will have because of that. All right. So point number three is forms and really understanding what is entailed in the process of being a supervisor, but also um, kind of what the, the outlines are for um, even just the associates and their licensing process. So the first thing I did was I kind of did a bunch of research and figured out, okay, there's a certain amount of classes I need to take in California that the BBS you know, wants for CEUs that really go towards the supervision requirements. I did a download on you know, what are the steps that I would need to follow if I was a supervisor? What forms do I need to you know, submit? Like all the legalities. And I just outlined it, put it in a Google doc, got really clear. I signed up for the CE courses. And so I kind of paced myself. So I know that I want to, right now it's July, end of July. And I knew I wanted to launch um, in the fall. So I kind of used the slower time in the summer to crank out some CEUs and get those checked off. And then I also um, called my state association camp just to consult them. I know you can always talk to the lawyers there and get tips and tricks in terms of what you can do and what you can't do. And then there's also camp also has um, a CEU course that's kind of geared more towards 
associates and trainees on their road to licensure. It's called the road to licensure. And it really is presented by a lawyer from state camp. And they really speak into like the updates that have happened with the BBS, what's required of the supervisors, but also what's required of the associates. And so um, you can sign up for something like that as well, just to kind of get both sides covered. And I think it's just really important when you say yes to an opportunity like um, being a supervisor to really know what you're saying yes to. And that is just a huge step for me is knowing what you're saying yes to and getting really clear on the deadlines, the limitations, the responsibility, and what forms and what additional education you'll need to maintain that. So that's what I did for step three. Step four is I outlined my to-do list. And so with that, I kind of just did like a brain dump, which is like essentially writing down everything that I wanted to check off before I began. So a few examples of this are um, I began working with my virtual assistant and started creating an employee handbook. And in addition to that, also an operations book. So the employee handbook would be kind of covering like what's expected of employees, like the protocols, things like that, where the operations book might be um, more outlining you know, what is the process of onboarding a client? What is expected in the notes that you take? How, um, how much time do you have to complete your notes? Um, kind of walking through like logisticals, time card, um, payroll, like all those kind of like logisticals. Um, and so I don't think it is necessary to create that, but for me and my personality and just the way that I like to launch things is really thorough and really clear. And I also see the value of creating those because it also kind of really sets a foundation to kind of hold the standard. So if someone, like I always think of worst case scenario. So I think of, okay, if I onboard an associate and they're like, you know, end up, you know, not doing what they should do or um, the standard of care that they're giving is like subpar, to have kind of a contract or a handbook that they've signed to know what the standard is. And so if I need to take repercussions, I have that in writing, but also because everyone has a different learning style, of course, I'm going to do, you know, an onboarding training and teaching them different things. Um, but it's nice to have things written down for like step-by-step -step instructions, because that will save the future me time than having to constantly do all these additional trainings and things like that it really gives them like a cheat sheet of sorts to feel really confident. Um, and in those handbooks, I'm also including scripts, um, which are just essentially like maybe example templates of how to do a first session and how to um, do a consultation call and how to ask for a signed waiver and just giving them a lot of tools. And I don't think that, like I said, I don't think this is necessarily required, but I know for me, that's my learning style is I like to feel really supported. And if I can kind of do some of the front work of creating that first, I really think um, my you know associates will do even better in their job. And not to say they can't still bring those questions into supervision, but I just really value that organizational piece. Alongside um, really steps on my to-do list, I also put down like signing up for a payroll company. So I researched different ones. Um, to figure out what would payroll look like? What does it look like to have employees? Um, what forms do they need to fill out? What is the state law that protects employees? So really getting clear on all of those pieces too. Um, also consulting my CPA around hiring and 
um, what rate I can afford to pay my associates and still make a profit and wanting, like I said, to honor that piece of wanting to give raises or wanting to, to, to really advocate for a fee that feels congruent and like reputable and uh, meaningful. Um, and then also consulting camp or a legal professional like a lawyer um, in terms of any legality that's necessary in terms of you know, taking on employees and especially someone that's specialized in um, therapists and really understanding the legalities around associates versus maybe a licensed therapist working for you. The last and final step is really creating structure and systems. And so <laughs> if you've taken my private practice course or have done consultation with me, you know that I really firmly believe that structures and systems are essential to the success of a business, especially in private practice. And onboarding associates is no different. So in the same way that I created a handbook in an operations book, I'm also creating like a checklist of what, what does the onboarding process look like? Does it look like um, say I do interviews in August. I say yes to who I'm working with. September is a training month where I'm onboarding them. I'm teaching them the softwares. I'm, you know, starting to advertise them on my website, you know, things like that. What do I need to cover in those trainings? Um, what does it look like? Um, what does my structure and systems look like for onboarding, but what does it look like for offboarding them? Um, are there certain checklist items? And maybe I'll learn those along the way. But what I find is like, I always think about how can I save myself, my future self time as well. And so by creating this structure and systems, this is something that I can eventually delegate out to if I eventually hire a clinical director or maybe my executive assistant or someone is in charge of the training process at some point, I can then kind of delegate these tasks out. And so I think there's such value in like documenting and getting clear because one, you can perfect your systems and your structure, but also it really just increases your professionalism. So that way, um, the company that you're growing, the culture that you're creating for your, you know, employees is really one that feels really solid, really thoughtful, full of integrity. Um, and so these are just five steps that I have been taking these past few months. Um, but I'm hoping that this conversation today and me just kind of sharing more inside glimpse of what that is, is helpful. Um, if you're also just wondering like where to begin and um, knowing that maybe this is a step you're propelling yourself towards. Um, so always happy to be a resource. If you have questions, you can reach out. I also do consultations and walk people through systems and structures. So if that's something that you need for your practice as you expand, um, but hopefully this is just a helpful tidbit of information and whether you decide to take on associates or not, maybe you want to just apply these concepts for your own solo practice, like having a better system and scripts for your first sessions and things like that. Maybe that's not just something that you would prepare for. Uh, future employees, but maybe this is also something that you begin to recognize is important for yourself. So thank you guys so much for tuning in today and um, whatever business endeavor you're dreaming up, I am cheering you on and I will be sure to keep you all posted as I onboard associates and what my group practice expansion looks like and um, just cheering you all on in these endeavors. So you want to launch a private practice, but you don't know where to begin. Well, you are in luck. 
Our signature course, Flourishing in Private Practice, is coming October 2022. This 12-hour self-paced course is perfect if you are a pre-licensed student, trainee, associate, or even a licensed therapist that is wanting to learn more about strengthening your private practice or curious to take the leap from agency to being your own boss. This course will walk you through all the steps from the basics of setting up your business structure, creating your brand, building your reputation in the field, and strengthening your systems to help your business flourish. This course is filled to the brim with tangible examples, templates, and structure to help your business thrive and for you to grow and flourish personally and professionally. If this is you and you are wanting in, go to our website at theflourishingtherapreneur.com to join our waitlist to be the first to know when the doors open. We also have a free download on our website called 10 Steps to Starting a Private Practice, and it's available for you today. So if you're wanting to get started sooner or dip your feet into the idea, don't wait another moment. Thank you for tuning in to the Flourishing Therapreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review as that helps other clinicians and therapreneurs find our community and thrive through our offerings. Want to take your business a step further? Visit theflourishingtherapreneur.com or our Instagram with the same handle. Connect with our free community or sign up for an upcoming course to help cultivate your thriving business and endeavors so you can flourish personally and professionally. Until next time, I'm your host, Claire Blakey, and I believe you deserve to flourish as a therapreneur.